sing with us this morning. Good morning. 
Wow, what a fun way to start things off, singing about the greatness of our God. Well, welcome to Cross Timber on this 18th day of June. It's hard to believe we're already past the midway point of June, and July will be here soon enough. Um, Let me just wish all the dads and granddads a, a hearty, happy Father's Day, and I hope you enjoy your time with family and hope it involves a meal, and if you're a napper, I hope you get a nap. Um, if you're a golf aficionado, hope you get uninterrupted time watching the U.S. Open um, and whatever else. Um, but I would encourage you, if you don't have to be outside, stay inside because it's hot. But um, we are glad that we have air conditioning inside and we are thankful to join together in worship, whether you're sitting here with us, whether you're watching online, um, whether you're visiting for the first time or you're visiting with family or you're a regular attender, we are glad to, to see you. Um, I just want to remind you of a couple of things before we read from 1 Peter chapter 2, and then after that our, our deacons will come and receive our offering. The first um, thing I want to remind you about is um, Summer Bible Camp, um, also formerly known as Vacation Bible School, starts tomorrow. There are still some of these cards available, so if you haven't had a chance to invite someone in your neighborhood or your family, please pick one up. Um, if they want to pre-register, they can scan the little QR code that has a hidden... Tr- Tyrannosaurus Rex in the middle, and that will take them to the registration page and they can sign up. Um, It's for kids four years old through the fifth grade. And if you are helping, um, Jeff has asked that you could be here about 8.30 in the morning, so we'll be ready for what God has um, in store for us as we start um, this week of summer Bible camp and minister to um, the children in our community. Um, In association with that next week. Um, We will not have the Wednesday Bible study this week. Um, You're welcome to come during that time and enjoy um, Vacation Bible School if you would like to, Um, but we will not be having our um, Bible study, um, adult Bible study this week. We'll resume next week. So that starts tomorrow, and if um, if you're planning on bringing some kids or grandkids, we look forward to seeing you. Invite people. If you don't invite them Monday, tell them Tuesday. If they only come one day, two day, three days, it doesn't matter. Um, just um, tell them to come, and we'll be thankful to see them. Um, also, just wanted to, to let you know that um, Ken and Michelle West, along with Scott and Leslie Whitson, are on the ground and ministering in Tanzania, and we have some photographs that they have, have sent us. Um, they are out preaching, evangelizing, and ministering, so there's a wonderful picture of not only the team, but also some of the pastors there locally. Um, and you'll notice there's one gentleman with a a cowboy hat there, and I'm assuming he is from Texas. Actually, no, that's his name is his name is pa- he's Pastor Mike um, Adair. He's the pastor of New Hope um, Baptist Church. He's along with them also. And so there's a picture. I think we have a couple other photographs. Um, there's um, there's the West. They're ministering under um, a tent outdoors. And then we have one last picture. And there is actually a worship service that uh, Scott sent me um, this morning. And so um, you know if you Remember, um, we donated $1,000 to partner with our association, and the goal was to start two tens, not two, ten new churches in Tanzania. And so those areas are being visited. They're um, sharing um, about Jesus. They're praying, they're praying, they're preaching, and they're training. And so we are thankful that we have um, folks from our church there, and we're also thankful that we can be a part of their work, not only through giving, but also just praying for them. So if you didn't pick up a prayer guide last week, they're still going to be there for another week. Pick one um, up on the table as you go out. There are several pictures um, that represent the churches 
um, areas where the churches are being started, and it's a great way to um, enrich your prayer life and keep up with what's um, going on. Um, you can refer to um, the bulletin for other dates and, and times. Um, and if you um, have a question or prayer request that you'd like to share, just jot it down on this little tan card, put it in your offering plate that we will um, be passing around in just a moment. Um, our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll read the first 10 verses together. Peter, the wonderfully bold and emphatic disciple of Jesus in his older age, wrote these words to those churches in Asia Minor, and he encourages them chapter 2, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for this pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for he who, for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Gentlemen, will you come as we receive our offering today? Will you pray with me, please? Our dear and most gracious Heavenly Father, on this special day where we as mere humans celebrate Father's Day, we want to thank you that you are the ultimate Father and that you watch over us continuously. And Lord, we want to thank you for being with us in this worship service today, for we have come to worship you and give you honor. And Lord, we are about to take tithes and offerings. Please accept them, do with them what you please. In Christ's name, amen.
Would you stand and sing with us this morning?
Remember those walls we call sin and shame. They were like prisons that we couldn't escape. But he came and he died and he rose. Those walls are rubble now. Remember those giants we call death and grave. They were like mountains that stood in our way. But he came and he died and he rose. Those giants are dead now. This is our God. This is what he does. He loves us. This is our God. This is what he does. He saved us. He bore the cross. He prayed. Let heaven and earth proclaim. This is our God, King Jesus. Remember that fear that took our breath away. Faith so weak that we could barely pray. But he heard every word, every whisper. Now those altars in the He 
find your place in Hebrews chapter 3 if you'd like to turn there in your Bible or or use your phone. We'll be reading the first six verses in just a moment. But just wanted to, to say before we get into this that uh, Deborah and I traveled last week. Um, she went for, for a checkup at the at City of Hope and so we received uh, another good report and they want to see us again in three months. And while we were there, we Got to enjoy cooler weather. I'm sad to say um, we played golf on a little golf course that was on Lake Michigan with a lighthouse. So um, I've never played beside a, something close to the size of the ocean, and I've never played near a lighthouse, so that was fun. And um, we enjoyed that. We saw some wildlife and a chipmunk. And we, um, we flew on an airplane 
um, there when we flew back. And just to, to, to tell you um, the fact that we, we do need Jesus constantly on, on the way back, um, you probably wouldn't guess this, but I'm not exactly the, the best traveler. Um, I get out of sorts and I get, well, I get grumpy. And so we were on the airplane, and um, the man in front of me just was fiddling with his seat. It was driving me nuts. We hadn't even taken off, and he'd already reclined his seat. And I'm like, come on. And so, you know, I, I mockingly just kind of pushed the seat. I didn't touch the seat, but I was like, you know, I just wanted to get him back into his place. And so he fidgeted with it, and the, the person behind me used my seat. I don't know if he was wrestling with it or what to get it out of his. And so I was kind of, you know, and I was just, I was, I was frustrated. So the flight goes good. I got to watch golf, and I calmed down a little bit. And then it comes the time when everybody's about to get off the plane. So immediately the guy next to me pops up, grabs his suitcase, and jams it down in front of him. And so, like, you know, I can't move. And, and then a lady comes up behind him, and I'm just I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm, I, I was not a happy person, and, and Deborah attested to the fact. And, and at one point Deborah said, you know, um, you probably shouldn't wear that shirt when you travel. And I looked down, and I had on my um, my rooted in Christ shirt, um, when I should have had probably one that had the seven dwarfs on it with grumpy circled. Um, and, and and just to say that um, is, as we look at this third chapter of Hebrews, and we begin this this section, that we have a constant need in our lives to. Um, to look upon Jesus. We sang that song, to turn our eyes upon Jesus, because um, regardless of circumstances, um, we all need a Savior. Um, and we all have our times. And so, as we consider Jesus this morning, may He um, change and transform our, our hearts and our minds for His glory. I'd like us to read the first six verses, then we'll pray and we'll get get started, but if you um, if you see there in verse 1, it starts with the word, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Lord, we are thankful that we have your word that testifies to the truth of who you are and how you would like us to respond and live our lives. We're thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit that helps us to to make these pages um, known to us to reveal your word. So we thank you that we have a living word and an active Holy Spirit that helps us. And so this morning, from the the youngest to the oldest, man, woman, boy or girl, help us to see the truth that you have for us and let it change our lives. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. What makes you smile when you think about it? 
Maybe it's thoughts of your spouse. Maybe it's children or, or grandchildren. Or maybe it's a funny moment, a memorable experience, or a pleasant time. When those thoughts come into your mind, it, it changes your attitude. It affects your emotions. It determines sometimes the course of your actions. And in matters of faith, it shapes the direction of our faith. It's really amazing if you think about it. God gives each of us the incredible ability to focus. Now, some of us are a little more focus-challenged than others. But He gives us this ability to focus. And at the same time, He gives us the freedom to choose what we focus upon. So there's always a choice in faith. Do we focus on the circumstance or do we focus on Jesus? Like Peter, do we look at the waves or do we look at the Savior? Do we look at other people and compare ourselves to them or do we look to Jesus, the one who is our ultimate example? Do we put our attention toward our wants and our desires or do we focus on the things of the kingdom? And so this morning, the author of Hebrews challenges us to consider, or some translations say, to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Now, I said earlier, tomorrow we're starting the summer Bible camp, and the slogan for the week is that following Jesus changes the game. The, the title is Twist and Turns, but the writer of Hebrews will tell us that when we fix our thoughts on Jesus, it changes everything. And so this morning, I want us to understand this idea that because Jesus is perfectly faithful, you can confidently put your trust in Him. That based on the truth that Jesus is perfectly faithful, we can put confidence in Him and trust in Him. So let me set the stage. Chapter 3 begins with this imperative command. It's a pause from the argument that he's been building upon. He's already shown us that Jesus is better than prophets. He's better than the angels. And now he's going to show his listeners that Jesus is even better than the great leader of the Israelites, Moses. And because Jesus is faithful, believers can operate in life with both perseverance and hope. And this section also bridges into the next section, where he talks about entering into rest or resting in Jesus. But as we pause on these six verses today, I want us to think about this game-changing truth that Jesus is God's apostle. He's our great high priest. He's better and more faithful than Moses. And we can and are able to hold fast to the confidence we have in Jesus, who is the faithful one. There's three points in your bulletin that will help you follow along. And the first thing we need to see is that there is a command to fix your thoughts on Jesus. It's straightforward, simple. It's just two words in the ESV. Consider Jesus. Now, who is the author speaking to? There's some interesting language to describe both Christian brothers and Christian sisters. Verse 1, holy brothers with a heavenly calling. That ought to sound beautiful to our ears, holy, that we're set apart for God's purpose and we're separated from sin. We're 
brothers, there's a special family relationship involved when we attach ourselves to to Christ. We are part of His family. Isn't it wonderful to say, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. We have Jesus, who is our older brother, God, who is our father, and all who place their faith in Jesus are brothers and sisters. We are the younger siblings entitled to every right that comes with being an heir. But it gets better. He says we have a heavenly calling that anybody who responds to this free gift of salvation in Christ receives a higher calling and a higher purpose. And while we have a hopeful destination that is heaven, what we do while we're here on earth is important. The Bible's clear. It tells us that we should live in this world like citizens of heaven. That this is our present place that we live in, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we should have a motivation in our lives to, to choose the heavenly thoughts over the worldly thoughts. And he writes this to these dearly loved brothers and sisters, calling them to pay attention, to focus, to set their priorities in the right Place so that they might follow Jesus all the way to the end. So we have this command, consider Jesus. It's short, it's very urgent, it's to the point, but it's packed with power, life-giving power. And the way the, the verb is structured, it's calling us to do something quickly without delay. Don't waste any time. Consider and continue to consider Jesus. Now, other translations like the ESV and the NIV tell us to fix our thoughts on Jesus. The New Living says, think about Jesus. And the Amplified tells us to thoughtfully and attentively consider Jesus. And this process of fixing our thoughts on Jesus requires time and effort. It doesn't happen overnight. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to focus I'm going to set my mind on Jesus, and I've got about three minutes before the day's got to go, so I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to get that out of the way. No, it takes time. It takes effort. You can't just immediately fall into it. It takes practicing the daily disciplines of faith, prayer, reading your Bible, being in fellowship with other believers. It uses both our heart and our mind. Our faith is something that not only appeals to our, our mental capacity, but also appeals to our heart. And the word actually just means to, to focus on something to gain intimate understanding, a deep understanding. Or as one writer defined it, to direct one's whole mind to an object. Now we may all say, well I have a hard time focusing, or this child or that person has a hard time focusing. But you will notice that even people that you say have a hard time focusing, there's something they can focus on. And here, the challenge is where do we place our mental attention? Where do we place our heart's affection? And he directs us toward Jesus, who he calls the apostle and the high priest. Now, it's true, we could say this, that our faith begins with Jesus. It ends with Jesus, and everything in between involves Jesus. Without Jesus Christ, we would have no 
faith, no Christianity. And so to fix our thoughts and to live our lives according to His plans is essential. We keep going back over and over again to those words of, of Jesus in the book of John where He dis, describes to us with imagery that's easy to understand that He is the vine and we are the branches. And what does He remind us in there? That apart from me, we can do a little bit. We can do a lot if we try hard. No, He doesn't say that right. What did He say? Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And so our life is His life. I love in that song that we sang, it's His lifeblood that runs through our veins. And God sent Jesus, our Savior, into the world to redeem man. He sent him on a mission. That's why he calls him an apostle. Now you can look and you can check on this later, but this is the only time in the New Testament that Jesus, the only time in the Bible, Jesus is referred to as an apostle. And you may be thinking, wait a minute, well there was 12 of those apostles and then Paul came along and he called himself an apostle. Well the word apostle just really means to be a sent one, a mission an agent sent on a mission. And so Jesus came to earth on God's mission, a mission of redemption. While he was there as the one sent by God, he perfectly represented God in the world. And you read those words of Jesus and you find that he is the one sent from the Father. And as John chapter 1 reminds us, he's the one sent from the Father full of both grace and So he's God's representative, but he's also our representative, followers of Jesus before God. He's also the great high priest. He's the one who gave the ultimate perfect sacrifice. He died in our place so that we could have eternal life. And now he's seated at God's right hand and he lives forever to intercede for his followers. Again, we have this mention of the high priest, and as we get further into the book, as we get into the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, he's going to build on this, and it's going to be such a beautiful picture as we understand more and more about how Jesus is the great high priest that causes us to be able to draw near to God, that the veil has been torn and we can enter into His presence. But when you take the two, you take apostle and you take high priest and you combine them together, the author is effectively saying that what he said from the very beginning, Jesus is God's final perfect revelation. And he's perfectly fit, he's perfectly faithful to achieve all that God intends. And because Jesus is this faithful apostle and great high priest, we should fix our thoughts on him and his faithfulness. Consider Jesus. More than a passing thought or casual approach, but a heartfelt desire to know Jesus and to continue to know Him more and more each day. Several years ago, Louis Giglio and others started the Passion Conferences that would already start in in January, and some of the most incredible worship albums came out of those meetings together. And there's a song that we go back to over and over again that that Deborah and I just love. And and the words are just this, give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious 
Give me one glorious ambition for my life, to know and follow hard after you. To know and follow hard after you. To grow as a disciple in your truth. This world is empty, pale, and poor compared to knowing you, my Lord. Lead me on and I will follow after you. The author of Hebrews. Our pure and holy passion, our magnificent obsession should be to fix our thoughts on Jesus. And to help us cement this in our mind, to get the proper perspective, the author compares Jesus to the greatest Hebrew hero, Moses. Now we read about Moses. You know, he was in, his mom put him in the basket, he floated down the Nile River. Pharaoh's daughter found him. He was raised in the house of, of Pharaoh. God had a plan for him, but he was a murderer because he killed an Egyptian who was mistreating a Hebrew. God speaks to him in the wilderness where he flees through a burning bush. And as great as Moses was, as he was the leader of God's people out of Egypt, the author wants us to consider that Jesus is better than Moses. Look at verse 2. Who is faithful to him who appointed him. Speaking about Jesus. There's a lot of hymns in these verses. So you have to be careful who the hymn is talking about. Just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Key word there. Faithful. It's repeated. Jesus was faithful to God as he was appointed to be the apostle and high priest compared to Moses, who was a faithful servant in God's house. And so we have a comparison here. Moses versus Jesus. It's another one of those lesser to greater comparisons that Moses was faithful and well-respected. How much more faithful is Jesus than Moses? In fact, verse 3 tells us, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So when you put Jesus and Moses side by side, ten times out of ten, Jesus is better. He's worthy of more glory. And he compares that to a home and a home builder or an architect. Now when you look at a finely built home, who gets the credit? The builder, right? Not the house. That's exactly what he's saying. Deborah and I were, were driving while we were, we were gone, and we went up to Racine, Wisconsin, and there are a few homes there that are designed by um, Frank Lloyd Wright, the famous architect, um, and there's also the S.C. Johnson headquarters that was drawn by him, and you look at those things, and, you know, while you see a bunch of straight lines and squared, you know, off corners, some people see the greatness of the architect, the greatness of Frank Lloyd Wright. So when we look at something that is built, we give the credit to the one who designed it or built it. Now, in this case, the house is not a building made by man, but it's the people of God. Who's the builder? Jesus is the builder, so he gets the glory. And then verse 4 just helps to even make the argument more strong. ESV has it in parentheses. Other translations don't. It does fit the text. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So we already know Jesus built God's house, the people of God. 
we see here that God builds everything. And when you put the two together, it's a, a statement, a powerful statement by the author that Jesus has to be God. If God builds everything and Jesus builds his people, then Jesus and God have to be of the same nature. And then he proceeds and he uses three points to help us understand, to compare Moses to Jesus, to show us that Jesus is better. The first thing is that Moses was was faithful as a servant, but Jesus is faithful as a son. You see it in verse 5. There's no doubt, you read through the Old Testament, God called Moses. Moses responded. God used Moses. In fact, he's one of the most honored and favorites among all Jews. Some Jews even say that Moses was greater than the angels. He was an honored servant. He was chosen by God. He willingly did what God wanted. He led the Egyptians. He led the Israelites out of Egypt. But he wasn't able to enter the promised land. That was left for another, Joshua, the second in command at the time. And great as he was, and great as he is considered, he's still a servant. However, Jesus is the Son, the one who has the place of honor, who has unlimited authority, who we have seen already in the book is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He's the one that is the only begotten of the Father, the one full of grace and truth. And so while Moses was great as a servant, Jesus is the Son. The second thing is you see that Moses served in God's house, and Jesus was the Son over God's house. So you have in God's house, over God's house, that place of authority. You see it. Verse 5, first part of verse 6. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. We've already seen the record. There was no doubt that Moses was faithful. And in fact, in mentioning this, he's referring back to Numbers chapter 12, verse 7, where God speaks about Moses and said, He, Moses, is faithful. Faithful in all my house. We read Exodus 33 that when God spoke to Moses, it was what? Face to face. And Deuteronomy 34.10, just the epitaph to the, the life of this wonderful servant. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses who the Lord knew. Face to face. While there was no other prophet greater than Moses, Jesus is greater than all the prophets, including Moses, because he didn't enjoy face-to-face fellowship with God. He is the very face of God. He's not in the house. He's over the house. He has authority over all the servants. He has the dominion over the whole house. It's his people. It's his church and everyone and everything in that house is for his glory. Now also wrapped up in these verses, we find that Moses merely testified and Jesus fulfilled. Verse 5, Moses, the faithful servant, testified to the things that were to be spoken later. 
he testified about this one who would be the coming Messiah, Jesus. In fact, Jesus references it in John chapter 5, verse 46, speaking to those Jewish religious leaders, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me. Semicolon, for he wrote of me. When God gave his law, his instruction, he spoke it to Moses. And that law pointed toward the one who would be the only one who could keep the law. When he gave the instructions for the building of the tabernacle, those intricate descriptions, it preached it teaches us about the wonderfulness of our Savior when He gave all of the, the, in, the instructions, all the descriptions of the high priest. It points to the one who is Jesus, the great high priest. And while those were just illusions, types, or shadows, testimonies from Moses, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, God's promises are what? Yes and amen in Him, in Jesus. And so what Moses spoke about, Jesus is. Some Christians see Jesus or call Jesus the, the second Moses or the greater Moses. That while Moses was active in the Exodus, but wasn't able to enter in with his people to the promised land, that Jesus, by his life on earth, by his death on his cross, and by his resurrection, walked with his people in complete deliverance all the way home. He is the great deliverer. Bible teacher William Barclay says this about Moses and Jesus. Moses did not create the law. He only mediated it. Moses did not create the house. He only served in it. Moses did not speak of himself. All that he ever said was only a pointer to the greater things that Jesus would someday say. Moses, in short, was the servant, but Jesus was the son. Moses knew a little about God. Jesus was God. And so you put all of these three points together and you come up with this undeniable truth. Jesus is better or superior to Moses. He's faithful. Now, it would be foolish for us to put a lot of confidence in something or someone that isn't trustworthy or not trustworthy. I mean, let's just be honest. There's some people in life that can't keep a secret. And we learn quickly, don't tell them because they're going to tell somebody. Other people can't keep a commitment. Something always happens or comes up and it's never ever their fault. But the writer of Hebrews presents Jesus as totally trustworthy and eternally faithful. And because he's faithful, he challenges the readers to the third thing we need to know, and that's to hold on to your confidence in Christ. Last half of verse 6. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So do you see the connective points there? Jesus is over the house, and then the writer says, we are his house. Jesus is over us. Moses is a servant in the house. He's a part of the family of God. And the pattern of this verse is a pattern that Paul uses over and over again in his writings, that if A is true, then B must be true as well. Let me just give you one example. Romans chapter 8, 
verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If that's true, then the second part is true, then the Spirit of God dwells in you. You can see Romans 8, 17 and other places for similar arguments. But the meaning for us, these verses would be something like this. If we are His house, if we are God's people, then we will hold fast or we will persevere. Now remember, the author likely wrote this book to Christians, Jewish Christians, who were facing hardships and persecution And the confidence they had in their newfound faith was beginning to waver a bit. Did we really make the right choice? Turning away from our Jewish faith to turn toward this trust in Messiah? They started asking probably questions like, why is this happening to me? Is it really worth it to walk down this road that leads to persecution and suffering? Maybe I should just go back to my old way of living. And the writer challenges them with this truth. If you are God's house, you will hold fast. So there's no need to give up. There's no need to give in. Hold on to what you have. Put your confidence in Jesus because He is faithful. Don't gripe, don't whine, don't complain, don't wonder. But put your hope in Christ and boast in Christ. Use those words that you speak to speak Boldly, words of praise toward the one who is our living hope. Or to live like this, to say, you have Jesus in your life, now live like it. Now as we look at this verse, there's a principle that we need to understand that kind of goes with it. There should be some evidence of your relationship with Jesus. There should be some evidence that if a change really happened on the inside, that there should be some change on the outside, that you can tell the difference and other people can tell the difference. There should be a difference if you have Jesus. And while this is not a call to doubt or fear whether or not you're saved, there's a clear calling to consider your relationship with Jesus. Have I looked upon him? Am I putting my trust in him? Is there fruit that shows that this is true? And the key here that he says that will show that we are people of God, God's house is holding fast. Another word you could insert there is the word perseverance. Now the majority of writers would agree with this statement that perseverance does not secure your salvation. Because it's clear throughout Scripture there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. But perseverance is a proof of salvation. Let me me say it this way. When we hang on to Jesus with all we've got, it shows that we trust that He is holding on to us. His grip is way more powerful than ours. 
that we hold on to Jesus, but he is holding on to us. And let me just say this, maybe today, maybe your confidence in Jesus and faith has been bruised. Hurt, pain, sorrow, rejection, things from your past, and you're wondering just, is it worth it to to keep on in the faith and to follow Jesus? Let me just remind you, Jesus is perfectly faithful. And if you put your hope in him, just like Isaiah found, that when you put your hope in God, you will not be disappointed. And because Jesus is perfectly faithful, you can confidently put your trust in him. So let me ask you, consider Jesus this morning. Not just a casual, "Mm, yeah or no, but a deep focus. Because when you fix your thoughts upon Him, it changes your attitude. It changes your actions. You're guided and empowered by the Spirit. It gives us the assurance that in times of weakness we have His strength. In times of mourning and sadness we have His comfort. And we have the assurance that He'll hold us fast until the end. And we're a son or a daughter in His house. And we have the privilege to be, just like Moses, a faithful servant in that house. I want to give you just four points um, about faith. Um, Just things to consider. These are adapted um, from some points made by George Guthrie, who wrote the New International um, New Testament commentary for the book of Hebrews. The first thing is just think about this. A healthy focus on Jesus is essential to faith. How we view Jesus, how we approach Jesus, is essential to our, our faith. Do you have the right view of Him as Lord and Savior of all things? Do you see Him as infinitely good as merciful as the one who is our great high priest second faithfulness is a choice faithfulness is a choice and it's challenged by our emotions and our intellect see while faith will shape our emotions and change our our intellectual approach to things, it's those very things that challenge faith. I just don't feel that way. If this faith is everything it's cracked up to be, why am I not feeling joyful right now? Well, it's not because of Jesus, it's because of us. And it also is challenged by our intellect. So faithfulness is a choice. We choose to be faithful. Third, faith will be challenged. But true faith will not fail. So your faith will be challenged. You're going to get to those moments. It could be psychology 101, anthropology 101 when you get college. It could be a, a high school science class. It could be around a bunch of coworkers during a break at work. It could be in your own family, in your own marriage. Your faith will be challenged. 
tragedies, heartaches, hurts. But true faith will not fail. It's so encouraging when you think about this, when you're, when you're praying earnestly for, for family members who are walking hard roads and you're seeing them in hard places and you wish it was different. As you pray, trust in the power of Jesus and realize that true faith won't fail. And then finally, the fourth, faith is lived out and grows in community. That's why so many times through the, the book of the New Testament and in Hebrews, we have those we statements, those plural forms, that it's not an independent endeavor. Now, we have to make a personal decision to follow Jesus, but we live out our faith and we grow in our faith in community by being part of groups that meet in homes, by being part of a Bible study, by, by serving in the church, by attending worship services, by being around other believers. It's how we live out our faith. You see, when we fix our thoughts on Jesus, it changes everything. He's the one that's perfectly faithful, and we can trust in Him with total and complete confidence. And He will never disappoint. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we we pause at the end here to just say thankful. We are thankful for Your faithfulness. And because You are faithful, your spirit in us allows us to be faithful toward you. Help us to see that you are better, that you're worse, worth our thoughts, you're worth our affections, you're worth our very lives. Help us to continue to focus on Jesus, to choose to be faithful even when our emotions and our minds tell us different. Help us to face the challenges of faith with the promises of hope in your word and help us to not give up being around other believers. That's how we live out our faith and grow in our faith. Lord, help us to see that when we focus or fix our thoughts on Jesus, it changes everything. Oh Lord, let us consider the one who's perfectly faithful and see that we can trust in him with confidence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We've arrived near the end of our, our service, and it's an opportunity that we have in participation in living out our faith to respond to the Lord. Many times that response is here. It's, it's internal. It's just a decision that we make in faith, and we declare it to the Lord. And you can do that sitting. You can do it standing. You can do it kneeling. You can do it at the front. You can do it at the back. You can do it at home. But it's a time to consider those things and to respond. But it's also an opportunity sometimes that that those things we need to do require movement. We need someone to to pray for us or pray with us. Or we need to to make a decision and to to let the, the body of believers know this is what I've decided. And in those moments, if it's somebody you need, you need somebody to pray for, just ask someone, hey, will you pray for me? Come down front, I'll be glad to pray with you. If, you. if you've made a decision today to follow after, you know, Jesus, it's a, it's a, it's a call to come to the front. If God is, is calling you to, to serve in a particular way or has set you apart, you know, for, for something and you want to just, you know, declare it before your brothers and sisters, that's the opportunity to come to the front. Or if God has just blessed you with the, the word that he wants you to be a part of this 
fellowship. And maybe today's the day you just join your, your lives and your hearts with us. And that's a, a time to come to the front also. But there's many different ways that we can respond. And we have this opportunity. So Jackie's going to play quietly on the piano. Um, I'd invite you, whether you, you stand quietly or, or sit quietly, to, to listen intently to the voice of God and as he speaks. still will follow, no turning back, no turning back. Wonderful words of challenge and encouragement as we call ourselves to commit to putting our confidence into fixing our thoughts on Jesus. I want to thank you for being here with us for, for worship this morning. The worship team's on their way up to, to lead us in a song, and I pray, men, that you would enjoy this Father's Day, families, that you would enjoy this time together, and don't forget Summer Bible Camp starts in the morning, so um, if you're helping, try to be here at 8.30. If you're bringing somebody, remember it starts at 9, and if you want to invite somebody, it's not too late, and we have um, cards available to help you in that. So um, would you join in standing? We're going to sing together, and after we finish singing, you are dismissed. What a wonderful maker. Majestic whisper. 